Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. Welcome everyone to episode 8 of the Walder Sportscast, the second episode released this week, so a special double feature for you guys. I'm Chris Walder, and as always, you can reach out to me on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. Today I'm going to be chatting it up with William Liu, the lead Toronto Raptors reporter over at Yahoo Sports Canada, as well as the host of the Raptors Over Everything podcast. If if you're a Raptors fan, then you've certainly caught Will's work or heard his shows or read his 10 things recaps online after every single game. So this is going to be a lot of fun chatting some basketball with him, basically taking us back to our war room days at the score, which was this closed off room away from the rest of the office with a bunch of televisions on the wall where we could catch the games on certain nights and just spew our hot takes at one another and have a good time. So it's going to be fun catching up with an old friend and picking his brain as I've done in the past. But before I bring Will on, as I always do, just a quick plug for my last show released just a few days back when I had the extremely talented Jordan Hales on with me. Jordan currently edits videos for Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment and just started up his own podcast called the Yo Sticks Podcast. It it was an extremely eye-opening and heartfelt conversation where Jordan discussed the Black Lives Matter movement and all of the protests going on in both the United States and Canada currently. We talked about the lack of diversity in sports media and the responsibility of basketball writers to take a stand against issues currently plaguing the black community like police brutality. Uh, Jordan, he was just a pleasure to listen to. I certainly learned a lot from our interview, and I encourage anyone who hasn't had the chance to, to just, you know, sit back, open your ears, and, and take in everything that was said, because... Maybe you'll come away from it with a brand new perspective on what's going on in the world right now. Uh, We also got in some Toronto Raptors talk, and Jordan even offered up some Scarborough hotspots for any out-of-towners to check out. So, shout out to all of my Scarborough listeners out there. If you are out there, uh, it's definitely my home away from home. But for this show, I'll be joined by William Liu just after this short break, so keep it locked. is William Liu, the lead Toronto Raptors reporter for Yahoo Sports, the host of the Raptors Over Everything podcast, and the man of a thousand and four fits. Will, buddy, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. It's nice to connect with you again. Yeah, it's been too long, man. Uh, You and I used to work at the score together, and I really enjoyed our time together. So thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I, I recently listened to one of your podcasts, which you recorded with Jordan Hales. And for anyone who has yet to give it a listen, I encourage you to check it out. Uh, One of the first topics you two touched on was the lack of diversity in newsrooms these days. And you mentioned you've worked in these newsrooms, at least three newsrooms in your lifetime, and that seems to be a recurring trend. And I could certainly vouch how that was the case at one of them. So as a person of color, Will, describe to me your experiences working in environments that are predominantly white and what measures can be done to bring more diversity to those workplaces outside of it just being a talking point. I mean, I think it's kind of simple. I think people just need to see the value 
in um, getting a diverse set of um, opinions, right? Like if you look at mm -hmm. uh, this current time, right, there's protests going on pretty much across the world. There's a lot of push for social change. A lot of athletes are speaking on this. And, you know, I think for a lot of uh, sports teams, they're finding themselves ill-equipped to cover something like this because they don't have people who have, you know, quote-unquote skin in the game. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it was the same issue. I mean, we could, we could talk about it. It was at the score. It's, you know, there just wasn't many diverse voices at the score. It was definitely overwhelmingly male, overwhelmingly white. And, you know, I remember we were there when um, Colin Kaepernick started um, protesting uh, for uh, or against, uh, you know, police brutality and against, um, you know, racial injustice in America. This is back in 2016. And, you know, it was just difficult to see um, how ill-equipped people were into covering. And I think, you know, it's one thing. It's, it's a little easier when the athletes speak because you can just pass along those words. But, you know, like what... You know what are you adding? Like that's that's part of uh, journalism. That's part of writing news. Um, is you have to add context. You have to understand the situation, and you actually have to see the situation and see the problem um, and have some perspective on it. And I think that's where you know just a lack of diversity and perspectives really comes to hurt um, just the overall product that you're putting out. And then on the other end is just you have to see the value in hiring people. Like when you have a situation where a certain department or a certain manager is hiring 10 straight people of the exact same demographic as I just previously mentioned. Right. That's a blind spot. You're, you're, there's a blind spot no matter, and it's not even necessarily about who's, um, you know, you can make a case of why well, I prefer this guy because of this. I prefer this guy because of this. When you see the overall larger scale of the pattern, then you have to say to yourself, what am I saying? What implicit biases do I have? And you got to check yourself. So I, I don't think it was like an overt strategy, you know, by the score to do, um, to have the newsroom look the way they did. But uh, it was, you know, I, I would say it was, it, it was a little awkward. Um, I, I think my overall experience working there was fantastic. And I really enjoyed my time there. And I made a lot of great friends and stuff like that and great connections. But um, you know, as with most companies, there's there are, you know, implicit biases that people need to be checked. What would you say then is kind of like your overall assessment of the current state the sports media industry is in? Because the positions with full time money are looking few and far between. We're seeing mm -hmm. a ton of layoffs from several prominent brands. And like you said, like the lack of diversity certainly needs to be addressed. You're seeing more and more writers and on air talent trying to catch a break. But like there's still so much uncertainty right now. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think there's are two separate issues. I think one, like the industry itself is just extremely extremely competitive in the sense that I think everyone's dream, well, not everyone's dream, but a lot of people's dream is to, you know, watch sports and, and, and write about it or cover it or however they want to do. But uh, it's it's a dream job for many people to go and, and work in sports. So just right off the top, it's competitive. And then you just have like the overall sliding, um, uh, just, just the industry, the media industry at large is kind of sliding, right? Everything is kind of evening out. Uh, sort of due to social media, people's consumption patterns are different. Uh, there's a lot more, um, there's just a lot more outlets. Uh, and so the opportunities are sort of, even though there's more outlets, a, a lot more of them are unpaid. And so uh, that sort of eats away at the whole pie. And then so people just generally have less jobs to do. And, mm -hmm. and then on top of that, you have a lot of these uh, big corporate takeovers who, you know, take over companies like Sports Illustrated and then just completely gut them. Uh, w without regard for the actual content, with more of an eye towards how I can get a positive return on investment, 
um, by streamlining a company when you know that's not necessarily the goal. But uh, I think the, to the other point about diversity, I think it's just, I mean, it's it sucks. Like I'll speak to my own experiences. Like you mm-hmm. know, when you go into the Raptors locker room, right? Um, you know, I was on a Zoom call recently with uh, you know the Raptors uh, PR staff. They've been doing a great job of just uh, making someone available from the team every week. There's been a couple of weeks where you know there's been nothing, but for the most part, they've been making players available. And uh, you know, last week they brought on Pascal Siakam, and um, you know I was in that Zoom call and I was looking around. It's just sort of all the faces in that call. Mm-hmm. I cannot be the darkest face in the room. That doesn't make any sense. That that's that, and especially when the conversation is about, uh, you know, what's going on in America, what's going on at large, what the protests are about. None of us are equipped to ask those questions, especially not in the way that, um, you know, it just wouldn't be comfortable, right? Like, imagine right. you're Pascal in this situation. You're talking to the media. You're seeing the media reflected back at you, uh, being something that's entirely different from you, asking you about your experiences, uh, and and. I don't know. I just felt very uncomfortable. At one point, one reporter asked him outright, you know, have you experienced racism and what are some of your stories with that? And that's just very awkward because that's not your position to ask that question. It really isn't. If he wants to offer it, by all means, that's his choice. He can do that. But to present him and to put him in that situation to revisit what is essentially asking him to revisit trauma so that you can write a story. Um, I just think that that's that's I'm uncomfortable with with that situation. I found myself uncomfortable with that situation. Um, and again, it just reflects the, the lack of diversity in the room because a you don't have the perspective to see why something like that is uh, is is a problematic question in the first place, given you know who was asking it. But it's also b like you know where you're asking you know in a sport like basketball when it's like seventy five percent black people, you're asking these people to share with you their experiences so that you can write about it as a story and then you move on to your life. And to them, that's not a story. That's a lived experience. And and so uh, I think there just needs to be more diverse voices in general, man. Like it, it just if you look at Toronto, for example, more than 50 percent of the of the city um, or roughly 50 percent of the city are people of color, people who are first generation yes. immigrants. Um, you know, I think I think the way the media structure needs to reflect that because overwhelmingly it is not 50 percent. It's not even close. <laughs> no, that's very true. And well, j- just to kind of segue to an- another aspect of media here, like one thing I've always kind of respected about you is your grind in the industry. And I've long grouped you with someone like Blake Murphy because I've seen the amount of time you guys put into your craft and the meticulous research and all of the writing and podcasts and videos and tweeting that you guys do. Well, across your journey as a sports media personality, which is far from over, of course, and with all the places you've worked, did you ever find yourself feeling overwhelmed with what you had to do? Or was that ever a necessity to keep churning out content at a high rate to kind of keep your name out there? I, I think it's, I think that's doesn't go away. Um, or at least I haven't felt that moment go away yet. I, and as you mentioned, you know, I'm still early on in the process, um, or at least I hope, but um yeah i don't think that pressure goes away not in the sense of putting your name out there it's just sort of in the sense that it's a very competitive industry and um people are there's just a lot of people doing this a lot of people doing it are really great blake's a perfect example right you look at how hard blake works um even though he's gotten to the position where for me personally um if i were to follow one person on the raptors to get a more the most comprehensive 
view on what's going on with the team and news and, and commentary and analysis, things like that, and reporting, I'm going to Blake if I had to pick just one person. Right. And even though he is that number one guy, in my opinion, for most people, he still works like extremely hard. Right. It, it, you know, like. I don't know how many other Raptors, you know, senior beat writers are going to Mississauga to watch the 905. You know sure, I mean? yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's covering it, and he feels you know, when he misses games. I know I, I talked to him about it, and we, we, you know, kind of bust his balls a little bit. But like, he's he actually feels bad when he misses games, and he's like, man, it's tough. And you know, Blake is just a guy who has that drive. And I was very lucky to work with Blake uh, at the score for I think about a year or so. And you know, and I worked with him before that at Raptors Republic, but uh, working with him in person, seeing him and those nights where, you know, when you're there at like 12 a.m. and this guy's just grinding away. We used to have that, uh, that, uh, that, that master like spreadsheet where, you know, we could put our stories on there of like, hey, who's writing what sort of just like an organizational tool. And it's also there for the social team to like tweet out these stories or whatever. Yes. <laughs> Man, Blake's chart was ridiculous. Like It, it was it, full. It was, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it was like I think he set the record one time with like fifty stories in an eight-hour shift. So this, yeah, this guy is is unbelievable. But um, I, I think that grind just doesn't stop. Like I think the pressure is always going to be there, just because the industry is really unstable. And I think the other part is just like because of the job being the way it is. Like it, a lot of it has to do with your own personal interests. Like how interested are you in the Raptors? How interested are you in basketball and NBA and stuff like that? And so part of it is just also it blends so seamlessly between what's your hobby versus what's your job that um, it just naturally lends itself to, to taking up most of your time and, and, and wanting to put something out there as a reflection of the time you put into it. and I have to talk some basketball. I had the opportunity to chat with you. That's your bread and butter, the Toronto Raptors NBA ball. We're a little over a month away from seeing them hit the courts once again, albeit in Orlando and, and not here in the six. The Raptors were 46 and 18 prior to the shutdown with the third best record in basketball, you know, despite losing Kawhi and Danny Green. Will, from all of the years watching this team compete, where does this season rank for you in terms of just pure overall enjoyment? And keep in mind, obviously, that there's still games to be played, of course. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a great question because I think there's so many different ways you can approach it. I think, you know, with the last, what, six, seven years of the Raptors going to the playoffs, every there's been so many new experiences and i think everything's been fresh even though when you look at it it looks almost mundane like they're going to win 50 plus games to go in the playoffs um but i would say that 13 14 season after rudy gets rudy gay gets moved and then somehow it seemed like the whole team was going to get blown up kyle Lowry was going to get traded to new york and all of a sudden that team just reels off this incredible run you know Masai decides you don't want to keep this team together obviously james dolan decides to do you know nick stuff and uh turns down kyle Lowry. And, you know, they have this great run towards the end of the year where they win for 48 games, which was at the time, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but that was a season high in victories, which is yep. kind of wild. We, I mean, the Raptors are at 46 already and this, you know, a third of the season or <laughs> hasn't even been played yet. It's nice. Um, it is really nice, man. We've really leveled up as a fan base. But <laughs> there's there's been so many new experiences, right? Like the 15-16 the season was amazing. 
parts of the 60 and 70 season was amazing 2018 was really fun like they got the first seed they almost won 60 games um and obviously last year they win the championship so i think this one is is really sweet in the sense that it, it feels the most to me like 2013 14 um in the sense that you didn't necessarily have like sky high expectations for this team especially if i told you out front that you know they're gonna miss like pretty much every single key player in a rotation outside of og anobi is gonna miss uh 10 plus games uh you weren't gonna have sky high expectations and yet to see the way they fought to see the way they're innovating to see guys step up um it's just been so unexpected it's 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 honestly like finding like a hundred bucks on the street you know you're just like this is amazing i'm gonna spend it on something nice i'm gonna really um you know treat myself and the raptors have been a treat like every single time you watch them this season so uh it's it's been it's been really fun and and honestly like going into this weird little orlando magic um kingdom thing like mm-hmm. yeah i mean they have a real chance to, to come out of this with another win which is kind of insane if you think about it well, one guy that I've been kind of keeping tabs on for a majority of the season, obviously, is Pascal Siakam. Uh, you know, he signed that $130 million contract extension, you know, solidifying him as that number one option moving forward. From what you've seen, Will, in the 53 games he's played this year, have you seen enough to believe he could be, you know, quote unquote, the guy on a championship team? Or do we still need to get through this upcoming postseason for more of an indicator if that is the case? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think the playoffs is just a great test. I mean, first off, you know, it's 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 strange to say this because Pascal, I think, for the most part, really succeeded in his role last year in the playoffs as a number two score. Sure. Right? Like, you know, when you look at the fact that he averaged 20 and 10 in the NBA Finals against a defensive player of the year in Draymond Green, um, you know, who as a self-proclaimed best defender uh, alive, Draymond Green, um, when he has 26 points uh, in the uh, in game six to close it out, when he's the one that Nick Nurse ran the play for, not even for Kawhi. I think that's significant, by the way. Like the Raptors needed a, a a bucket at the end of game six to to increase their advantage from one to three, with 30 something seconds left. The play they drew up out of the timeout was for Pascal Siakam, and Pascal dusts Draymond, hits the floater. So I, I think I, by all by all means, I think Pascal you know succeeded last year. But I also want to see like how much of what he did this season and the improvements that he's made and he's continued to make, um, how much of that like has actually translated into something tangible at the very highest level. Because, you know, we also saw some parts of Pascal's game last year where, you know, in that Philly series, uh, they put a beat on him. They sort of took away his drives to the rim, forced him to shoot at the top of the floor. Couldn't really do that successfully. Milwaukee kind of did the same thing to him. Um, I want to see if Pascal, you know, those improvements that he's worked on if those have translated at the highest level. So, I, you know, it's, it's, I'm not going to tear him down if he fails. I think it's just, um, it's sure. going to be a very, like, productive opportunity regardless, because it's going to be a pretty, a really big test when, when teams are double teaming him, when teams are putting centers on him again. Uh, you got to see him deliver. I think one thing that Toronto Raptors Twitter is extremely guilty of, and I fall into that category as well, is, you know, constantly reminding everyone that the Toronto Raptors are the reigning NBA champions, which is fun to do. I mean, but after a while, I mean, at least in this season, in the Eastern Conference, it truly does feel like it's the Milwaukee Bucks to lose at this point. Well, other than the Bucks, because they appear to be in a class of their own at the moment, which is absolutely the case, is there a particular team in the Eastern Conference that, if paired with the Raptors, would give Toronto more trouble than the rest. It's hard to say. I'm, I'm, it could. There, I think you know what. What this 
what this says about the East is that there's a couple of really good teams, and they all present specific matchup issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if if you look at a team like Miami, that's probably the team I'm least afraid of. Uh, if I'm the Raptors out of the competition, just because I know Jimmy Butler is there, and Jimmy Butler certainly had his done some damage to the Raptors. We don't we don't have to revisit that. It's it's uh, triggering for me. Good times, but, um, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, man. Remember when he scored 40 points and a half to break Michael Jordan's record? <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was Memories. awesome. Memories, yeah. Yep, yep. Yep. Um, yeah, but, you know, I, I think Miami, like, just because Jimmy Butler's the number one scorer, like, you're just offensively not going to be that great. They have, they're relying on a lot of rookies to contribute, um, you know, and then it, what I'm most afraid of is Bam Adebayo guarding Pascal. But realistically, you know, when you look at the other positions, I think the Raptors are going to be okay. Um you know, Philly Philly is a team that I know the Raptors are probably going to score to struggle against just because of their size. But at the same time, I just am very confident the Sixers not be able to score on the Raptors. Like, if you look at the defensive matchups, uh, you got Embiid getting guarded by Marcus Gasol, which we know how that went last time. Um, you know, we have Ben Simmons, who we definitely know cannot shoot whatsoever and is kind of a bad fit with Embiid based on the current skill sets. So I'm not too worried. Plus, the Raptors have both OG and Pascal to throw on him. And then it's like Tobias Harris, who I'm pretty sure, again, whichever one of OG or Pascal is guarding him, he can do a pretty good job just keeping Tobias Harris in check. Because he's just, he's a nice player, but he's like, you know, not like a next level scorer by any means. And then it's sure. like Josh Richardson, um, Matisse Thybul. They don't really have much of a bench. Um, you know, I might be most afraid of Mike Scott, but at the same time, they defend like crazy. And I think the Raptors would have a really hard time scoring. I mean, they, they had a really hard time scoring them last year with Kawhi Leonard averaging like 35 points a game. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's that's an issue. And then Boston, I think, just has the most like offensive talent, you know, out of that whole group. And they have probably the the second best coach. Um, well, maybe third, I guess I got a Spolstra, but one of the top three coaches in the Eastern Conference for sure. So it, it's hard to say who's specifically the worst matchup. Um but if I had to pick one, I might actually pick Philly. Well, when when you first heard about the NBA's plans to make this return in July and keeping the players in a bubble out in Orlando with that 22-team format, you know, and not knowing as of yet if there's going to be any advantages for the teams who had performed well up until this point, you know, and you also have to factor in what's going on in the world right now with the Black Lives Matter movement and the COVID-19 pandemic. Did any part of you think that the league was making a bad decision to finish out this year? Or if you were on board, then that the league was perhaps going about things in the wrong way? I mean, it's hard to say. Like, um, for me personally, I thought it doesn't fully make sense to take away this platform from them. You know what I mean? Like, um, mm-hmm. the, the court is a platform for a lot of these players to um, to express their views and things like that. So I actually think that, you know... Um, taking that away, especially because you think about how many people are going to be watching NBA basketball, right? Like that's going to be, if everything goes successfully, that's going to be the first uh, major North American sport that's back. And that's a worldwide thing too. It's not just, you know, people watch NBA pretty much all across the world. That's such a big platform for these players to have, especially with nothing else going on that um, I want to see them have the opportunity to use that attention to, to then further their message. I think that's really powerful, but I think, you know, the league is actually going about it the right way. Like, it, it, they're basically saying, look, it, it's it's a lot to ask for, for you to come to this bubble and, and spend there for, like, be there for two months. Um, you know, it, it's it's a lot to ask for, you know, to take you away from this current moment in time. Um, so if you don't feel comfortable coming or if you don't want to come, then there will be no repercussions and you can, you can kind of skip out if you feel like it. And I think as long as you give the players that option, 
and really honor that option of not actually punishing them for missing games or things like that, then I, I don't quite see the issue in it. So. so when that Woj report came out yesterday at the timing of this recording of, you know, the faction of players discussing whether restarting the season was even a good idea, do you think they're justified in their concerns? And do you think like we'll see any prominent names step forward and, you know, decline to play? Um, I mean, maybe, I, I don't know, man. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to say, look, look, there's a lot of money at stake for the players to go and play. Um, I, I think, you know, uh, it's probably been explained to them, um, how much would be lost if they didn't play, which should be a secondary regard, but, um, I don't know. I, I really can't actually see that many players. I could see some players like a Dame Lillard who... You know, it's such an outside chance for them to even try to make the playoffs or something like that. Right. It might not be worth it, right? If I'm DeMar DeRozan and I just saw LaMarcus Aldridge have a season-ending surgery, am I really going to go to this whole thing, go through training camp, go through this whole thing, and um, try to push the Spurs into a potential battle for the eighth seed just so they can get washed by the Lakers because it's Jakob Hurdle versus uh, Anthony Davis. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and uh, if I'm DeMar, I probably don't want to see LeBron again for the rest of my life. No, uh, sir. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't know if they'll see the, the value in that. But, I, again, like I said, like, man, as long as the NBA actually gives them uh, an ability to, to skip out and have there be no rec uh, recourse for that, then I think it's, I think it's fine. I, I still ultimately kind of doubt it, to be honest. So, I, well, I remember this video that you posted after the Raptors won the 2019 NBA championship, and it's mm. of you, you're smoking a cigar with this big smile on your face, and you just look into the camera and you say, Raptors, baby. Raptors. <laughs> I, I want to ask you, Will, describe what <laughs> that night was like for you as both a fan of the franchise and someone who covers the team, you know, game six. Raptors close out Oracle Arena and they finally get that ring. What was that experience like for you? Man. Okay, first off, uh, you know, my timing for everything could not be more perfect. Like, um, <laughs> I was, I was, uh, you know, I was at the score at, at the, until the trade deadline. So when, until the last, my last day there, the Raptors traded for Marcus All, and I was covering that and whatever. But, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was there, and then it was my first year, like, actually officially covering the Raptors on the beat. Like, I've been doing it um, unofficially and sort of working around a couple of uh, rules at work to sort of put my stuff out there, which, um, you know, I appreciate them taking a blind eye, but also I, you know, took exception to the rule in the first place. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, whatever, it worked out. Like, I was able to, like, cover the beat, and then just for that specific year, to be the year the Raptors go on to uh, win the championship, like, to... to you know, it was such a year of first for me. Like I, it was like the first time I got into the arena as a credentialed member was opening night for the Raptors, um, and then you know being able to go, I was at the the first Warriors game when um, KD had fifty one and Kawhi had thirty seven. That was an incredible game. Raptors went overtime, um, and and then to actually join the beat and then travel for the first time for work, you know. You know, going to Orlando, uh, going to Philly, going to Milwaukee, and then going to. To, to Oakland was just sensational and then it just as a fan like it was just amazing to see the Raptors do what they were doing because it was such a storybook run right you think about it you have okay whatever the first round who cares like <laughs> Kyle Irish scores zero points they lose one game it's not a big deal um 
Then you have the Philly series, which was so intense, right? They look like they're really going to lose, especially after game three when Embiid's doing the airplane and, yes. and Siakam's hurt. Um, they somehow pull it on the road in Philly. Um, I just remember, I think my, my nail marks are like still in the Philadelphia media table. <laughs> oh boy. Because <laughs> I was just gripping the table. Like I was literally like, like it's like uh, at Wonderland here, you're just like gripping the thing. I was gripping the table when Kawhi uh, hit that three and, uh, and beats phase to uh, take it at the end there. Um, and then, yeah, you, you go to game seven, you have the shot. Then you go to Milwaukee, you're down 0-2. Things are looking bad. I remember after game one, I remember just using the bathroom and just hearing a bunch of fans being like, man, we're going to sweep these guys. Kyle Lowry is never going to have 30 again. Kawhi's broken. The rest of their guys suck. Um, <laughs> we're going to sweep them. And, 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 you know, especially after game two, they were definitely chanting bucks and four and we want Golden State. And then to see them pull that comeback and then just completely embarrass them in game five on the road, seeing all the fans leave early for the last game of the season, um, you know, seeing that 26 to three comeback, sensational. And then you get to the NBA Finals and for them to actually go through and win it, despite all the circumstances around it, despite the fact that the Warriors, I mean, they put up a really good fight for a team that, you know, uh, did have a couple of injuries and were sort of at the end of their run there. It was just so satisfying, both as a fan of the team and also professionally. So, um, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I, I knew going out to game six, I actually had a really good feeling the Raptors were going to win. So the last thing I was doing before I left for the airport was I, I there was a cigar box that... Um, I had under my bed because uh, me and my partner, we went to Cuba like two years ago. And on the, our last day there, we, um, we, we, I wouldn't say we bought some illegal cigars, but you know, it wasn't necessarily <laughs> at, a, at a vendor necessarily. It was in someone's house that we randomly stumbled into well, a weird story. But anyway, so we <laughs> bought this, this box of like 10 Cohibas and, um, we were, we agreed that we were going to, you know, smoke these after significant moments in our lives. Right. And, um, I, I think Right before I left, I had a really good feeling the Raptors going to win. So it was the last thing I packed was I took a single cigar out of that box and I, I threw it into my um, my luggage. And uh, I remember even texting my my coworkers in the in our group chat. I was just like, "Look, here's a cigar. I'm telling you, after this, you're gonna have a video." <laughs> um, and then and then yeah, after Game Six itself, it was such an insane uh, night. Everything was surreal. Like seeing all the fans uh, chanting, seeing like the Raptors like in person win the championship. I remember sitting next to Blake, uh, which was just like such a a moment of everything coming full circle. You know, the two of us sitting side by side at the score in like 2014 to like 2019. We're sitting side by side in like Oakland Arena or in um, Oracle. And uh, I remember in, in between that 0 0.9 seconds when they were trying to decide, I kind of like hugged Blake a little bit. And Blake was like, yo, get off me, man. Come on, we gotta be professional. <laughs> but then like, you know, like after he did that, we kind of like looked at each other. He kind of winked at me. Like we were both so happy in that moment. Um, and then the, the whole night was just nuts, man. Cause you're, you're seeing like all the confetti come down. You're seeing all the fans chant for like two hours after the game. There's like three full sections of the Raptor fans. You're seeing them get the championship. You're going into, I went to the locker room. There was like champagne sprayed. Oh wow. Okay. Trying to interview people. It was crazy. All my shit was destroyed. Like uh, my, my suit, you know, rest in peace, but that thing's gone. Uh, my shoes were, were just, just completely dummied. And then I had to write on that game. I came home. I did a podcast on that game. That was about an hour and a half. And by that point, it was like 5 a.m. Um, local time in Pacific. So it was like 8 a.m. here in the West in the East Coast. And I was just like so tired, but I just like wanted to go for a walk and like smoke this cigar. I need to find some time. I couldn't smoke it at the arena, although I maybe in retrospect, I should have smoked it at the arena. But maybe, yeah, I just, yeah. <laughs> I just like walked to a local park and I was like, I just got to, you know, you know, smoke. And, you know, people were uh, 
already taking their dogs out for jogs and stuff like that. And I, I, I thought of something cool to say to the video, but <laughs> that's all I had to say was just, you know, Raptors, baby. Raptors. such a great video man thank you thank you for sharing that story with me uh we're drawing to a close here but before i let you go will i just love to shoot some fun rapid fire questions your way if that's all right with you yeah go for it man So there's this famous photo of you from what appears to be your high school days of you mm. standing in a tree fanning a wad of cash. Uh, well, can you please explain to me the origin of this picture? Because it's truly the stuff of legend. Yeah. Um, so in grade 12, uh, I was really trying to, uh, you know, bolster my um, applications for university by doing some extracurriculars. And so I joined the uh, Student Administrative Council and uh, the position I ended up in was treasurer. So we had to take pictures for the uh, the, uh, the student administration, and everyone had you know just there's like a box in like the, the foyer of the of the school, and so uh, for me I was treasurer, so I think it was my idea, but there was like a big tree in front of the school, so I just like climbed the tree and I took out the amount of money I had in my wallet, which was I think like thirty six dollars or something like that. It wasn't a lot of money. If you actually look closely at the photo, um, <laughs> and then yeah, like it was just I don't know why I was dressed like that. You know, at that time, I think probably, I would say 85% of my wardrobe was from winners, which is, you know, fine, but you know, it was like also from winners that my, my mom selected. So the outfit was terrible. Uh, the haircut at the time was definitely regrettable, but I mean, you know, it turned out to be this iconic photo and I don't know how it resurfaced. Maybe it was on Facebook, but mm -hmm. somehow it got out there and it's now just a legendary photo. So um, ultimately I'm happy I took that. Well, you're still a very busy man, you know, juggling your writing and your podcasting. But when you do have some spare time, what do you find yourself binge watching? Uh, so, I mean, obviously, during quarantine, there's been tons to binge watch. Um, definitely really enjoyed Ozark. Um, it's through season three now. Um, what else have I watched recently? Killing Eve has been really nice. Okay. Um, was a little surprised. I didn't think I would like the show as much, but I really enjoyed Especially season one was really fun. Um, Insecure has been really nice this season. It's on, it's on season four now, but Insecure has been good. And um, I mean, other than that, I mean, honestly, like uh, like YouTube soccer highlights. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. The little compilations of like Robinho from 2002. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'll watch that right now. <laughs> those those YouTube uh, compilations are great time killers. Yeah, no, you're you're just in a wormhole. You're like, I want to see what Neymar did at Santos in 2012. <laughs> well, Will, you you recently reviewed the first two Rush Hour films with Alex Wong for his Stephen LeBron radio podcast. Will, other than de detectives Lee and Carter, which character from those films deserves the most love? Ah, that's a good question because there's not that many other characters that are featured. Um, I, you know. I might have to say, I might have to say Juntao, you know, but not, not Juntao, like the actual guy who was Juntao, 
But like that that Asian guy with the blonde hair, it was just such a look. It's so iconic. You know, I mean like Pharrell ended up basically recreating that whole look um, for the Oscars or Grammys or something like that, some award show uh, like two years ago. And then everyone immediately was like, why is Pharrell dressed like Juntao? And that just shows you the, the, the iconic look because that, that movie came out in 1998. So um, that was great. Obviously Don Cheeto also had a great cameo as well, but um, I, I might have to go with Juntao, man, just because, yeah. And Juntao's the character that, that has that iconic scene, the, the wipe yourself off, you're bleeding. Mm -hmm. That's the character, right? Oh yeah, it's perfect. And you know, his like his like accent is perfect too. You know, like imagine getting trash talked by someone who <laughs> who's just telling uh, with with just such difficulty speaking English. Like it's actually kind of it's almost extra insulting, but um that was great. And also, you know, I as I pointed out on that podcast, he makes this ridiculous demand at one point. Because he wants to have this ransom, and he wants to have unmarked bills, and he wants to have 20 million in 50, 20 millions in 20s, and 10 million dollars in tens. Which, if you really calculate how many bills that is, that roughly weighs like one ton. Like you oh, couldn't wow. even lift. You, you can't. Move. Yeah, because one bill is one gram in the states. So when you're looking at, um, you know, 10,000, uh, like one million, uh, 10 million in tens, that's one million bills. 20 million in uh, in 20s, that's two million bills. And then uh, another 20 million in 50s, that's 400,000 bills. So you're looking at 2.4 million bills, which if you translate from that to grams into tons, that's 2.4 tons. There's no physical way you could ask for that. Like, <laughs> you you got to get like a cash check or something, like or ask for like a gold bar. That might even be cheaper or, or lighter. Well, Will, it was last month when that now infamous slam tweet came out asking those on Twitter for their Toronto Raptors Mount Rushmore. Now, the obvious answer would seemingly be, you know, DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, Vince Carter, and Kawhi Leonard. But can you make a legitimate argument for anyone else? I could honestly see Masai being on there. That's yes. probably the closest one for me. Um, you know, with all due respect to, to Chris Bosh, who did do a lot of good things here. Um, you know, weirdly enough, he wasn't that memorable, uh, at least for me. But... Um, yeah, I, I think Masai has just done so much to this organization. And when you're talking about, you know, Kyle and Damar, you're really talking about this whole era of Raptors basketball. And, you know, the third guy in that era is Masai. And really, you know, Damar ends up getting moved. So that era, which is still somehow continuing now, but it's it's Kyle and it's, it's Masai. And, you know, you've seen Dwayne Casey move on. Um, you've seen JB move on. Lots of guys have come in and out in this era. But the two pillars have been in those leadership positions have been Kyle and have been uh, Masai. So I, I don't I don't think you would actually move one of those guys off for Masai. I think that's it's weird to, to have a guy who's not a player on there. But, you know, I, if if it were me, I would put you know, Masai somewhere um, you know, on that on that Mount Rushmore, but you know the real the real question should have been uh, what, what's our the score Mount Rushmore because that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. I was actually I was going to follow up on this Mount Rushmore question actually. Like, what's with this belief, mostly out in the United States, that Tracy McGrady was some sort of legendary Toronto Raptor? I think it's because of the name. It's just the clout of of Tracy, right? Tracy obviously being such an iconic player. A guy who led the league in scoring, did so many great things, um, and I really enjoyed Tracy as a player. But the Tracy that you got in Orlando, the Tracy that you got in Houston, that's not the Tracy that was in Toronto. Um, you know, Tracy was much younger at the time. You know, he kind of had to leave the organization essentially to become what he was. So it, it's 
It'll be like saying James Harden is one of OKC's greatest players. I mean, like, kind of, yeah, but, like, not really. The James Harden, the legacy of James Harden happened outside of when he left his original team, so. Yes. I think it's just clout. Yeah, you're going to put T-Mac on that list and leave out, like, a Morris Peterson or a Jose Calderon. Mm -hmm. Like, those two would have more of a claim, I would think. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Or, or even a guy like JV at this point, you know? Yes. Uh, Will, is Champagne Supernova the greatest Oasis song? Man, that's a great question. Uh, Oasis goes hard. Very, very hard. Um, personally, I would go with Slide Away. Because um, A is just a really great song. Um, but I also think that, you know, for me, when I was in university, I, lived, I definitely was in one of those houses where everyone played guitar and we all, and myself included, and we all tried to like sing rock and roll songs and stuff. And um, the guy who was by far and away the best guitarist and the best singer, um, he was really, really a big fan of that song, Slide Away. And I, I heard him sing it, perform it. We used to like, we did a whole recording of it too. So um, <laughs> Slide Away is, yeah, it's really great, man. But Champagne Supernova has to be up there. It is definitely up there for sure. It, it's definitely up there. It's it's like an end of the night, you know, 2 a.m. at the bar. Everyone's going home. You put that on. It's probably better than um, Closing Time or other other things that they put on. But uh, yeah, I'm happy that you share this Oasis uh, fandom, man. Because people, Oasis takes too much slander. People are sleeping on Oasis. Wake up. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, does Patrick McCaw get too much hate from the Raptors fan base? Yeah, because it's not his fault, man. <laughs> he doesn't decide his minutes. He's not telling. He's not putting a gun in Nick Nurse's head and saying, you got to play me 24 minutes a game. Um, I think it's a, a problem with circumstance, right? You have Fred miss time. You had Kyle miss time. So you needed a backup one guard. And for them, that was Pat McCaw, especially because the Raptors tried to play a lot of two-point guard lineups, and they tried to leverage... Uh, one of the two point guards to be more of a scorer, right? So, um, you know, if, if, if Kyle's out, then you need a second point guard like McCall on the floor so that you can turn uh, Fred into a scorer, more of a shooting guard. You can turn Kyle into more of a shooting guard. So, you know, uh, I, I, you know, McCaw has his flaws and sometimes it's definitely overplayed. But if you look, man, when McCaw plays a lot of minutes, the Raptors still win. Like, it's, it's not the biggest issue. Like, look, it's the ultimate thing to complain about Pat McCaw being you know <laughs> their biggest problem but pat mccaw your your eighth or ninth man is is your biggest problem um then you're you're probably a damn good team and the raptors are that you know we've had trust me as as, as you know you and i know, both know raptors have had a lot of times where there are bigger problems than pat mccaw being number one or you know being played too much there were times when alan anderson was like legitimately number one or number two options uh don't take me back <laughs> to those days that's way worse man so <laughs> Well, you mentioned uh, Fred Van Vliet's name there for a second, and it was uh, you posted a video of you interviewing him a couple of months ago, and the two of you drafted players on the team mm. to comprise these three-on-three -three squads. To put a spin on that, if you were to coach your own three-person squad composed solely of writers and bloggers that you've worked with, who would you roll with? Uh, and we're playing basketball? You're playing basketball. Oh, God. Oh, man. I don't even know if I... Yeah, it's three is tough to get to. Um, and you've played ball with most of these guys, correct? Yeah, no, I, I have I have played against them. I have played with some of them. Um, most of them are bad. Most of them are bad. <laughs> so my number one pick is Assad, which is technically not even fair because he's not a, actually a writer, but he does appear on you know my podcast quite often. And he's we'll count him. Very active. So I'm counting Assad. Like he legitimately has game. He's six four. 
Um, you know, he, look, he put on some weight, but look, still a, a guy, you know, who has lots of skills, can shoot it from legitimately from 30, um, can post up. You know, he, he's got a real, he, he's got like a real like 2017 Dirk Nowitzki game of like, he's not moving that much, but he's wet when he shoots and uh, you can run an offense through him. Uh, after that, I mean, I might take our guy YL. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like he was really good, like, uh, all tools kind of guy. Like, you know, he had, I played with him in one tournament. He was surprisingly decent, could do a little bit, could slash a little bit. Okay. Uh, definitely a great locker room guy, too. You know, everyone loves him. Just a great dude. And then, um, man. Uh, would would you like to be a player coach? No, definitely not. I mean, <laughs> if I were trying to win this game, I'm not putting myself in the game. Uh, I, I'm basically Jamal McGlure in 2012, 2013. Last season, he played as the Raptors before he became an assistant coach. Like, just out there to foul people and talk shit. So, um, mm -hmm. definitely not necessarily effective for winning basketball. But, uh, man, this is tough because there, there's really not that much competition. I might take Reynolds. Dan Reynolds, he, he has like a, he a bit of a handle, um, you know, he could shoot it a little bit. You know, some would say he's a bit of a ball hog and, and, and too hard on his team. Maybe like a like a, a washed up Chris Paul, but you know, that's that's still Quite better the comparison. Than, I mean, other than that, it was like, you know, Joe Wolfon's decent, um, you know, but he, he doesn't really have an outside game. Very good athlete, though. And I guess same for Cash, so. And then Blake is pretty much just like me, except a little bit more mobile. But you know, he he, he, he won't score either. So, well, on a scale of one to ten, how would you grade Etobicoke's Cloverdale Mall in comparison to other malls that you've shopped at? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I mean, I've probably spent more time at Cloverdale than I have in any other mall. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, Cloverdale, it's uh, it has such a terrible assortment of, of shops that you just don't want to go to like i had actually not gone to a mall where like less things inside the entire building appealed to me uh until i went to galleria uh, which i moved out here in like 2016 ish like that mall that and that mall has since been reconverted into a, a condo basically destroyed so you know clearly was um, not enough business in there but yeah cloverdale is um I don't know, man. There's a Kitchen Stuff Plus in there. That's not bad. There's a Winners in there, which I definitely got a lot of my clothes from at a certain point in my life. There's a there's kind of a there's a Metro in there with a terrible hot food serve counter. There's a there's a you know what? There's a good flower shop in there. I, I got I got um I got my prom items uh, from that flower shop. But aside from that, that that place is not good, man. But it, it is it is it is an icon in, on on the East Mall, I guess. <laughs> And it has a special place in your heart, which is all that matters. Oh, definitely. Definitely. There's also a place, there's a Dollarama, there's like a hair cutter that's like way too expensive and gives terrible haircuts. It, yeah. Well, if you have a Dollarama, you're a made mall at that point. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess so. I guess so. I don't actually know that many other Dollaramas in Etobicoke, so yeah. And uh, finally, Will, you are the voice of Raptors Twitter, and the people just have to know, is Giannis Antetokounmpo coming to the six in 2021? I mean, maybe. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> I, I, I certainly hope so. Uh, no promises, but you know, I, I think, unlike other major free agents, if he does actually get to the free agency stage, which is kind of a question for me, I, I, I think maybe if Milwaukee senses that he, you know, he wants out, maybe they move him before losing him in free agency. Maybe it's you know, it's not everyone's Brian Colangelo and will just let Chris Bosh walk for nothing. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I think unlike other free agents, like. 
he would actually sit down with the Raptors, which is tough because if you think about all these other guys who have hit free agency, none of them actually sit down with the Raptors, right? Like, I remember people getting really excited because in 2015, LaMarcus Aldridge was reportedly meeting with the Raptors. And and LaMarcus is fine. He's a good player, yeah, a solid 2010 guy, but he's, he's no Giannis. And... Um, I'm confident that Apple's going to at least get that meeting, which, look, that that's significant. You know what I mean? Once you get the foot in the door, Masai, I'm sure, is very convincing. You know, you throw out, you know, um, all these scenarios at him. The Raptors have proven that they can win. They've proven that they can beat Giannis. You know, maybe Giannis does that KD thing. Well, Giannis sitting down with the Raptors in free agency would still be a top moment in franchise history. But, Will, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join me today. Anyone who calls themselves a Toronto Raptors fan has followed your work, and I'm truly happy that I had the chance to work alongside you. Before we sign off, buddy, just let the people know where they can find you on the web. Yeah, um, you can read my work for Yahoo Sports Canada. Uh, you can listen to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. And you could uh, follow me on Twitter, at William underscore Lou. Thanks for having me on, Walder. Like, you know. Uh, it was, you know, it was, it was really fun to work with you too. And, uh, yeah, I missed those days, man. When it was like 12 AM and we're watching like six different games on six different screens, uh, while drinking like a free coconut water. Like that, <laughs> that, that was, those were the days, man. The war room days will live forever, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Thanks exactly. again, Will. All the best, buddy. I appreciate it, man. And that was my interview with William Lou. Give him a follow on Twitter at William underscore Lou. And Twitter, step up your verification game, because if any Raptors writer or blogger out there deserves that blue check mark, it's definitely Will. Just an absolute wealth of basketball knowledge and Raptors knowledge at his disposal. I remember the day he said his goodbyes to everyone at the score when I was down there. He, he came around to all of the desks, shook our hands, and I told him to his face that the best was yet to come for him, and that that's undoubtedly been the case with his podcast, writing for a major publication, hosting the Run It Back web series with Alex Wong. I'm really happy for him that he's in a spot where he can flourish. So I want to thank Will once again for taking the time out of his day to join me. It means a tremendous amount. And thanks, as always, to Jason Lung, my audio engineer, for putting in the work to make this show sound awesome. I can't say enough good things about the guy. And please, if you're looking for someone to work on your show or give you tips to fix up your audio, Jason is the man for the job. So reach out to him on Twitter at JLung20. This has been episode 8 of the Walder Sportscast. Please subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review at Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever it is that you download your podcasts. Every little bit helps, and it gets the show out there to more people, so thank you in advance. That's another one in the books, so I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports.